Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met at Acme. Today is quite the debate. I have on author John Berger, and he wrote a book called Make Your Move and lots of other great books too. And we don't necessarily agree and that's okay. And I feel like you like that. Like you like when we don't agree. So hopefully that will be entertaining to you guys. And I'm excited to hear your thoughts. Going to answer some of your questions before we get into it. Someone wanted some wedding updates. What can I tell you? We are still so behind. No band, no floral, no decor. We have a photographer. We have not no makeup and hair yet. Uh, maybe hair, potentially. We've got dresses of all kinds. And I'm starting to have doubts of like, should I be changing so many times? Like, do I want to be like taken away from my wedding to change? Like... Oh, so now I'm like, oh, should I return one of the dresses? But I'm like, no, it's from a vintage store. And like, it's so special and unique. I am just all over the place with it. But um, we're having a meeting with our wedding planners this week. So going to have more exciting updates for you soon, which is crazy and amazing. We're also still trying to figure out, do we want a full band? Do we want a DJ and like a few band pieces? These are decisions I never thought about before, but I'm really grateful that I get to make. It's funny. Like I obviously have thought about just being like, oh, should we just like elope and save all this money? But just talking to other brides who have been really supportive of this experience and, you know, they have shared their own. And I think that it's all worth it in the end. So hoping that that is true. Somebody wanted me to talk about how to get and satisfy cravings for intimacy while single and focusing on yourself. I don't think that you like can't satisfy this while being single. I think that you can still go out on dates. You can have a friend with benefits. You can have intimacy in other ways. Like it doesn't have to be just romantic intimacy. You can have friendship intimacy. You can have, you know, intimacy in your in your family, like not like sexual intimacy, obviously. But, you know, you can have intimacy with like your passion in life, like you can get intimately involved with something that you really, really love. And I think it's so important to be able to have that so that if you have that relationship with yourself, it doesn't really matter what else is around and that you'd be fine without it. Like I know, and we actually had this debate with like a rabbi in an early episode. He was like, if you feel like you can be okay without your partner, they're like not the one for you. But I disagree. I feel like it's so important to know that like you'd be okay without this person, you know? Taylor Swift re-released Red and all hell broke loose. It's so funny. I went on this trip, you know, the day after she released it with my fiance. We went to Austin, which was great. But, you know, what wasn't great is that I decided to start up and I started fights with him like all weekend. And I was like, I didn't know where this was coming from. And I'm telling you, it's it's not Taylor Swift's fault, but it was almost like I wanted to be in this like kind of emo mindset. Like I wanted to be, I wanted to feel something in order to be able to connect with this music. Like I, like I just feel like there's this, thing that Taylor does that like makes us want to go back almost back into kind of like how Drake does it with his exes, like Taylor does it. And it's like, 
it's like you have all these thoughts like, oh my God, like, am I still feeling all these feelings from a long time ago? And it's like, no, I'm not. And I'm in my happiest, like healthiest relationship right now. And I'm getting married, but still Taylor has the ability to like take us back to how we felt when we were 21 and had just graduated college and had no idea what to do with our lives. And we're so lost and no one took us seriously because of our age. And, you know, like it just, it connects us back and it's so crazy. Like, it's like, oh, is Taylor's not over her ex? Maybe I'm not over my ex. Like, not actually, but, you know, it really takes you back. And I think that it brings up all these like healthy ways to process and move on from like these great connections that don't go well. And all these people are giving Taylor shit like, oh, it was only three months. Like, who cares? And it's funny because it's those three monthers that actually have the biggest and greatest effect on us. Like, Looking back, I think I only really am still, not that I'm still affected, but like I'm still, I can get right back to the feelings from the three monthers. And I think it's because it never really bloomed into something. So you never really knew their like bad side. You only kind of saw the good side. And and I, I don't love that everyone's hating on Jake Gyllenhaal. Like I don't think that's necessary, but I will say like there is something about him that's a bit narcissistic. Like he has like five planets in Sagittarius or something wild. And I think we've all experienced this like love bombing, this narcissist that we've dated. And we have a great IGTV on it if you want to check it out on our Insta. That's really helpful with a therapist. But I will say like, it's the hardest when it when it goes really quickly and you feel like it's going to be this thing and you feel like this person has made up their mind about you and you're going to be with them forever. And then they kind of just like drop you like a hot pocket. Like that is what really affects you for so long, I think, or at least affects me and affects Taylor evidently. Someone said, how was Austin? Did you learn anything more about Steven on the trip? Why did you go? Great question. Other than me trying to start fights all weekend, Austin was really amazing. Like I could see myself living there. We ran into so many friends of mine who, and of Steven's who like lived in New York and now live in Austin. Like we didn't even know they had moved and are just having the best time. It's kind of like LA, but less vapid and just like really good energy. Everyone is so nice there. We got to visit my cousin who goes to UT and we got to eat barbecue. It was really, really nice. I don't know if I learned anything more about Steven. Like I feel like I know him so well at this point and he knows me so well. But I did learn like, you know, relearn that like he lets me do my thing. And like I went to this like Taylor Swift Barry's class at 4 p.m. on a Sunday in the middle of our day. And like he figured it out. He met up with an old work friend like you know, he really wants me to be able to have like the freedom to do what I want to do. And, and same with, you know, I want that for him, but it's so funny. I did learn that he doesn't like to wait on lines. And so we didn't go to Franklin barbecue, but then I found out after that you couldn't even have gone because they're only taking online orders. So I'm really happy I didn't make him do that. Cause then I would have been in a lot of trouble if we went and it was closed. Somebody said, what is the best way to start IRL convos these days for guys and girls? We've talked about this a lot. I think it's always like, oh, like, how's it going? Like, hey, how how are you? Like, just like straightforward. No one's going to be like dismissive if it's in person. If like when all else fails, do the like, oh, you look familiar. Like, you know, figure that out. Okay. Someone said, how, do, how to cope with guilty feelings about seeing multiple people in early dating? no reason to feel guilty. If they haven't made it official, that's it. Like that's, that's all you can really do, you know, is date other people. And like, it's so funny. Someone asked me recently, they were like, oh, this guy asked me if I'm seeing other people. Like, what do I say? We've only been on a few dates. And I was like, be like, well, I'm single, you know, (laughs) like you don't need to explain it more than that. And if they really want you to not be single, then they should ask you to be their girlfriend or boyfriend, whatever. Bachelorette party, what type and what is important to do? What's the most fun thing at a bachelorette party for me is that you're all together and you are having a good time and you don't overdo it. I think the worst thing at a bachelorette is when there's all these games and there's all these 
like regulations, like, oh, we need to go to this club and then we need to go to a day party and then we need to go to this. Like, no, like there should be, in my opinion, like one balls to the walls night where like you all go all out and have so much fun. And then like, you know, one night where you're chilling or if it's just a one night bachelorette, then you go hard that night and then you like have a really, you know, hungover or whatever breakfast the next morning and you all hang out. But I think there's something really nice about like all being together and not just like distracted by like a dinner or like a night out. Like for me, my bachelorette will like, obviously I will go out one night, but like the most fun times are going to be when we're all together, like in that hotel room, kind of like bonding and, you know, being vulnerable with one another. Someone said, reflect on your psychic reading from a while back. It's a nice segue from the astrology episode. Good call. So funny. I did have a psychic reading. I don't know if I believe in psychics. I believe in astrologers who have psychic abilities, but I didn't feel like the psychic was so spot on about a lot of things. Like the things that I aired were spot on. The things that I cut weren't. So I think it's interesting. I will say, I'll just like admit it now because it's a funny thing. The psychic told me that I would be over Steven like in a month. Like they were like, oh, you'll get over it. And we're engaged to be married two years later. So I don't know if I would believe psychics, especially when it comes to relationships. I think, you know, maybe they tell you what a little bit of what they think you want to hear and they're trying to read your read on things. And I don't know. I'm more into astrology and something that's kind of a little bit more grounded. What's your dynamic with your friend that set you and Steven up? Love that friend. She is a bridesmaid and we are very close. We're actually both sober and she's a part of the reason that I'm sober as well. And we met in college and have been close always. She has a young baby and he's super cute. And her and Steven are still friends as well. But I would say her and I are much closer than them. And that's the dynamic. Now I'm just going to um, answer one more question and then we'll go right into John. How feeling safe with your significant other differs from feeling bored? Great, great question. I would say feeling safe is when you don't feel like you're like missing out on other things. Like you feel like they like have your back, like just like knowing that they're near you or like with you is like is good. Honestly, this, this is a really funny thing. It's like when you don't feel like you need to call your parents for like comfort, because like they are your comfort. And I would say feeling bored is when you're like nothing to talk about. You dread times alone with this person and going out to dinner, just the two of you. And you like it better when you're hanging out in a group or just like you have more fun on your phone than with them. And on that note, I'm really excited for you to listen to John. The holidays just got a little less depressing because I have an announcement for you guys that you are going to love if you are in New York or the surrounding areas because feel free to come in and check out the tree and all that good stuff. We are doing a show on December 26th at Caroline's. It's going to be a brunch show again. Our last one was so much fun that we decided to squeeze this in before everyone leaves for the holidays. It is the perfect way to celebrate Christmas, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate. Come hang out, come eat nachos, drink all the drinks. We're going to play a fun drinking game once again. There's going to be really fun guests and you're not going to feel alone. And by the way, come alone because you won't feel like you're there alone. We are a group and we're going to have such a fun time. And I really hope that you get a ticket. I'm going to put the tickets on the link in my bio on Instagram. So go check it out and hope to see you there. I recently got a chemical peel and I have finally done peeling and my skin looks good as new but I'm still very wary of what I use on my skin. Like I would never just use something over the counter. I hate products with lots of oil in it. I don't want anything that's going to risk a breakout or anything like that, especially with a wedding coming up. You can't risk that stuff. 
And you really need to work with someone who is legit. And that's why it's so great. So when I use Curology, I'm matched with a licensed dermatology provider. So this person gets to know my skin and if it's a good fit. And they follow up with me. They give me customized prescription creams that address my fine lines, my dark spots, my acne, so much more. And it's so great, especially in the winter. My skin is changing so much. I don't know about you, but it's like so dry right now, more than ever before. And before it was like not dry. Like I was like, oh, I don't want to put lotion on it. Now I'm like, all I want to do is put lotion on it. But Curology is really, really amazing. And their products are super chill. Like it's not, you never feel like you are wearing like too many things on your face. You know what I mean? Like you just know that you have enough. Like I have my custom formula, the cleanser and the gel moisturizer. And that's what I get every month. Like I do not want more than that because that is like basic and I don't want to go overboard. So I highly suggest that you find out what works for you. It's so important to be good to your skin, especially during the cold months. Go to curology.com slash Acme and you'll get a free 30-day trial. So all you pay for is shipping and handling. That's dot com slash Acme. And you're going to unlock your 30-day free trial. If you don't like it, you don't need to stick with it. But you get 30 days free of skincare if you go to Curology.com slash Acme for all the details. The holidays are pretty much here. And the best thing that you can do with your time during the holidays is to get creative. For me, I'm like, do I want to make a holiday card? Is it too soon? Like we're engaged, but we're not married. Like who wants a holiday card without two cute kids or one cute kid or cute kids in general? But all I know for sure is that I need a really good platform if I'm going to make any type of card. Even if it's just a holiday card, you know, to my, like the people I work with and people I love and my family, maybe we do like a secret Santa and I need to make a little distribution thing. And that's why Issue is my go-to over the holidays. It's an all-in-one platform that helps you create and distribute beautiful digital content from marketing materials to magazines, flip books, brochures, and so much more. PDFs are so outdated but Issue makes your content better because they work seamlessly with tools that you already use, like InDesign, Dropbox, and Canva. Like if I didn't have Canva, I I mean, I cannot use Photoshop like at all. I cannot use any of these things. And Issue helps me to use all of these things and works with them, which is so amazing. Make your holiday card, make your holiday lookbook, make your manifesting like vision board, you can make whatever you want this holiday season and you can get started for free. Or if you sign up for a premium account, you'll get 50% off when you go to issuu.com slash podcast and use promo code ACME. That's issue issuu.com slash podcast and promo code ACME at checkout for your free account or 50% off your premium account. That's issue.com slash podcast and use promo code ACME. From the offices of Create and Cultivate, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, the host of Work Party, a podcast for ambitious women looking to create and cultivate the career of their dreams. Work Party is paving the way for a new generation of women, women who are redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. Every Wednesday, we bring in leading female powerhouses for real talk and BS-free advice on building your business. You'll hear from female founders, CEOs, entrepreneurs, creatives, and so many other badass ladies. Are you ready to create and cultivate the career of your dreams? Then tune into Work Party, the podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show and never miss an episode. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met at Acme. I am so excited to be here with author of Make Your Move, John Berger. Hey, John. Hey, Lindsay. How's it going? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. So it was actually a follower of mine who reached out and they said, have you heard of this book? 
And I said, I haven't. And they said, you need to read this book because you have very opposite, very opposing views. And I feel like you you and this author should should duke it out a little bit and, and debate it out. So I'm really grateful that you agreed to come on the show. Uh, I'm happy to be on. I, I'm not, you know, much for duking, but I will have a, <laughs> a I will have a cordial conversation with you, and we can explore our differences. How about that? Very fair. Very fair. Okay. So, John, just for a little background information, how old are you, and where are you from? Uh, God, I, I got to the age where I forget my age. I'm 52. I live in New York. I'm originally from Boston. Um, I was a Fortune magazine writer for many years before having kind of an odd midlife career change, uh, shifting into writing books about dating. Awesome. Very cool. And your book that I'm holding in my hands right now, it is called Make Your Move, The New Science of Dating and Why Women Are in Charge. What inspired you to write a book with this subject? So the inspiration from Make you know, for Make Your Move kind of came from my first book, Datanomics. You know, Datanomics was really more pop science than a dating book or an advice book. You know, it explored how lopsided sex ratios among college graduates were making life hard for young, single, hetero, kind of marriage-minded women. You know, right now in U.S. colleges, we have like 50% more women than men, you know, enrolled. And this, this imbalance in college kind of spills over into, into post-college dating. And, and the big argument I made in make in, sorry, in datanomics was that this college gender gap was behind the rise of the hookup culture and the declining marriage rates for the college educated. But you know, I I have regrets, <laughs> let's say, about how I wrote datanomics. And first and foremost is I didn't really offer much in the way of hope or solutions to all the problems that I identified. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I kind of had this really snooty attitude towards the whole self-help genre. And the last thing I wanted to do was become the the love doctor or something. I, I, I thought right. I was a, I thought I was a serious journalist. So basically I'm trying to kind of write the wrongs of the first book and kind of offer, uh, offer the, the hope and solutions that I didn't do in book one. Mm-hmm. Totally. And what were some of those notable things that you had pointed out in, in the first book? I mean, the, the, the first book is really kind of a deep dive into how sex ratios affect dating culture, mating culture, and really human culture. You know, we, Basically, since the late 1990s, we've had 25, 30%. Now it's 50% more women than men graduating from college. And this wouldn't matter so much if we were all more open-minded about whom we date and eventually marry. But, And I think we should be more open-minded. But the, mm-hmm. re- the research shows that we are not. And that that at the same time that, that college sex ratios have been skewing female, there's been kind of a simultaneous increase in what academics call assortative mating, which is just a fancy way of saying that college grads tend to want to date and marry other college grads. Mm -hmm. So what we've ended up with is this kind of post-college dating pool for college grads that has too many women and not enough men and kind of a blue collar dating pool that has too many men and not enough women. And the book explored, Datanomics explored how these how these lopsided ratios affect our culture and affect dating. Totally. And that's interesting because I never thought about it like that with, does that like, are you implying that there is more, there are more women who graduate college than men? So right now in U.S. colleges, according to the U.S. Department of Education, the the ratio in college enrollment is 60-40, 60% women, 40% men. That translates into three women for every two men in college. Or another way of thinking about it is 50% more women than men attending college. And this, this spills over into post-college dating. And it's why... Like we all know all these amazing, fabulous women, particularly in their 30s and 40s, who 
can't seem to meet a decent guy, yet we all know these kind of so-so guys who don't seem to have any trouble. Well, this is why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really that's really interesting. I, I never thought about it, about it like that. Do you think that that has any effect on your position for this book, Make Your Move, just in terms of like, you know, women, let's say, are more educated. So why don't they be the ones to be in charge? My arguments on this topic are are not philosophical they're kind of practical mm-hmm. and when you know when i was working on the first book datanomics i mean i just i interviewed all these women who couldn't figure out why the conventional dating advice that they'd been falling back on over the years why it wasn't working i mean i have a, a very distinct memory of interviewing a woman in her late 30s who was like a wonderful human being, tops of her profession, extraordinarily attractive. And she was pointing to me this kind of bookshelf full of dating books, like all the rules books and ignore the guy, get the guy, all all these books. And she was kind of baffled as to why this wasn't working for her. And I just met so many women who had been using a kind of some derivation of playing hard to get and it wasn't working for them. And my goal with make your move was to kind of to figure out what does work. And, and, and I guess part of my thinking, part of my philosophy, part of my thinking here is that there's a, um, a definition of insanity aspect of all this, you know, the old saying that the mm-hmm. definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again. And you know, when I began work on Make Your Move, I just met all these women who basically said, fuck it. I'm sorry if I, I don't know if, this, if your podcast is oh, G-rated no, please, or not. <laughs> she said, I, I'm not doing it the old way anymore. I'm going to take things into my own hands and and go after what I want, as opposed to kind of wait and wait and wait for the guy they like to realize that she liked him. Interesting. It's funny because I feel like I have experienced and have had women write in that like basically the opposite that hard to get or like the game or the chase whatever you want to call it is really the only way to feel in charge because then you feel like you know for sure that this person is into you if they are pursuing you as opposed to you pursuing them and kind of blurring the lines a little bit. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I, look, I, I have no, I mean, everybody's different. Everybody's wired mm-hmm. a little differently. I have no doubt. And look, I'm, I'm also very negative on online dating. And I know that there are people out there who have found a soulmate through a dating app. I, I, I'm not saying it's impossible to, you know, to find true love by playing hard to get or by dating complete strangers in a dating app. I'm just saying it's harder. Mm -hmm. So I've bunny-eared a couple of pages in your book that I wanted to go over with you. Let me open it up. So one of them is about how guys are afraid of approaching women sometimes, like especially in a place like New York City, afraid to be labeled. So I'll just read if that's okay from your book. It says, guys were always afraid of approaching beautiful women. Now what's happening, and I'd say most of it is irrational, is that the guys worry about being labeled as creepy if they do anything remotely aggressive. This is really interesting. And I'm sure this is on the, you know, on the back of the Me Too movement and things like that. And for that reason, like I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with this. I think, you know, there probably is something to guys feeling that way. But, and then, so there's this other part a couple pages later where men, like we're, we're, you're basically saying like men don't pick up on it when, when women are flirting with them, which I found really interesting because oh, it's, yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. You go ahead. No, it's it's not. It's the human beings don't pick up on it when somebody is flirting with them. I mean, the mm-hmm. research shows that something like 65, 70% plus of flirting is completely lost on the intended target. So th- mm-hmm. this isn't this isn't that that 
this isn't a man-woman thing. This is a human being thing. And if you're a human being and you think that your flirting is a clear way to communicate romantic interest, you're probably wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so funny because I, I don't disagree with you, but just based off my own experience, I have found that the men that I've come across almost think that like, I'm flirting no matter what. And maybe this is just like my personality and who I am. You know, I'm like charming by nature, I guess. But for example, like I was in an elevator once with a man who lived in my building at the time. And I I think I just was making conversation, you know, something like, oh, this elevator, it's always slow. And immediately this man brought up the fact that he lives with his girlfriend. And I thought that was so interesting because it was like, he thought that, and maybe this is just because he had a girlfriend, he was more on the defense, but he immediately was like, you know, made a comment alluding to the fact that he lived with a girlfriend, which I thought was really interesting at the time. Yeah, I so. mean, I don't know. I mean, it could just be that he's weird. Like I, I, right. I really, I, I mean, if you've read the book, you know that I try hard not to like, make big draw big conclusions from mm-hmm. individual experiences i mean like i mean mm-hmm. da- dating books are not cookbooks i mean i could harry styles might have the world's best eggplant parm recipe and he could <laughs> he could publish it and it's just a pretty good chance that you and i if it's a if he if it, the instructions are clear that we could kind of duplicate his eggplant parm recipe right but but if harry styles gave us like a point by point plan for how we ended up dating Olivia Wilde. I think that's who he's dating, right? Or how Olivia Wilde started dating, you know, Harry Styles. That's not going to work for the rest of us. I mean, for us mere mortals. So I'm, I'm really like cautious about drawing Mm -hmm. big conclusions from, you know, an individual's experience, because as we all know, some people like really have a sixth sense about this stuff and are, and like, I'm sure, you know, women and men who are never single always end up with the man or woman they want or or 90% of the time. And the rest of us kind of look at them in awe, like, how do you do it? But if he or she explained how they did it, it wouldn't work. (laughs) It's It's just that they're, they're, they're unique. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, going back to the men approaching women and women approaching men, I think I think that uh, and I always say this like I think you can initiate with a man and that is okay, but I think then there needs to be kind of a level of like backing away and then letting them you know get the hint once you have initiated with them. But I don't love the idea of the woman pursuing the man the whole time. It just doesn't feel in any way safe or something that if I were a man, I would personally want. It's funny how like anytime you talk about a woman making a first move, it kind of conjures up this image of like Corella DeVille, like chasing a guy down the street. And Mm -hmm. I mean, that's not at all what I'm talking about here. I'm just making, you know, suggest, I'm not saying like grab the, grab the guy's ass or something. I'm just saying, make it clear that you want to date him. And Mm -hmm. I think if a guy feels confident that you like him and that you want to go out on a date with him, that you know, all you need to do is open the door for him and he will feel comfortable about walking through. I, I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, like, you know, pushing him on the bed and throwing yourself on him or something like that, which, which is, it's interesting though, but it, it, you know, anytime somebody pushes back against this, particularly in the kind of the, the, you know, dating expert world, it's, it's always this kind of like a scare tactic about like, you know, conjuring up this image of a woman chasing a guy down the street or something. And that, and that's not, I, I don't think that's a good idea if that's, if that's the question. Yeah, no, definitely not. But it is very much about like attitude and, and like, if you, if, if you're a woman and you pursue a man, but like you don't need them in any way, it's just kind of like, oh, I like this person, like, let's see how it goes. Then I think it's a very different result than if you're like, I need 
a boyfriend. I'm going to pursue this guy. He needs to be my boyfriend. So, so um, why why is it a different result? I want to I want to hear your yeah because your, your... I think that if your attitude is like oh I'm just like getting to know this person and I'm deciding if I if you've already made up your mind that you want someone to like be your boyfriend and it's kind of like you're just filling a role and you don't even really know the person and you just want their approval and you just want to be liked by them as opposed to not needing any validation, not needing their approval, but enjoying yourself and like, you know, feeling whole on your own and then kind of seeing, oh, this person, let's see if they fit into my life. You know, for for a lot of women, I feel like the narrative has to be changed instead of like, oh, do they like me? Do they like me? Like, how about do I like them? Let me find out if I like them. And that can be, it's like you can smell it on someone. Yeah, I, I'm all in favor of dating people that you already know and already like. So maybe there's we have a little bit of a, a difference there. I'm I'm not a fan of dating complete strangers who you meet on a dating app. But 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 let's just let's just play out your argument about about I mean basically you you're saying that that you, you think the relationship will be less successful if if the woman initiates, right? I do, yeah. Okay, so so this does this also apply to same sex dating? If if I'm a if I'm a queer woman and I ask out another woman, is that relationship less likely to succeed? No, I think that's that's very different. And we've if had... I'm a, if I'm a gay man and then I wait for a guy to ask me out, is my relationship less likely to succeed? I think the dynamics in gay and lesbian relationships are different, and we've actually had we've had representation of that on the podcast, and it's been explained. So I think it's it's hard to compare. There's a, a Hollywood screenwriter uh, or comedian, Quinn Marcus, who's I've been working with on a on a project, and, and you know, we were talking about how these kind of like junk science gender roles end up fucking up dating. And she told me the story about how she had been sleeping in the same bed with her college girlfriend for a month before one of them worked up the guts to kiss to kiss the other one. And I, I just think these these gender roles that we've accepted as truth, they're they're built entirely on junk science. And we can talk about this if you want. The, the reality is men like women who like them. The reality is, and you know, you can you know, you, 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 you can dig into this in the book is that, you know, the, the research on this shows that whoever makes the first move, whether it's a man or a woman, is on average likely to achieve a better outcome than the person who kind of sits back and sits back and waits for somebody to approach. And it doesn't really take a genius to figure out why this is, because if the, the person who makes the first move at least, you know, has a chance with their first choice partner, while the person who sits back and waits to be courted is never guaranteed a first, you know, a, a shot with their first choice because, as we talked about, flirting doesn't generally work. So, like, whenever I talk about this, women know that guys are generally oblivious. It, guys don't know when a woman is interested in them, and I just hate the idea of these these incredible relationships that never came to fruition just because they were kind of ships passing in the night and no one knew that the other one liked each other. Yeah. I mean, I, I will disagree with that. And what I will say is that women in my scenario that I'm explaining, like they're not just sitting around letting themselves be chosen. I think nowadays that's like next to impossible because you discuss these things. So for example, I just set up a girlfriend of mine and I set her up with a really wonderful guy and a guy that she is really excited about. But I set her up. She knows who this person is. So it's not like she's just sitting there being chosen. She technically kind of chose him, right? Because she said to me that she's interested in this setup. And he did all of the pursuing. He was the one that messaged her. He asked her out on a date. You know, he asked her out on a second date, et cetera, et cetera. So she chose him too, but he just did the pursuit. So it's not like, you know, he wasn't her first choice as well. You know, he was, but then she let him take the reins, which I think is, is so, different. So like, I mean, look, I, I've been a guy my whole life. I, I've yet to have a conversation with another guy that went along the lines of, 
you know what? I really, really like Lindsay a lot. I think she's the one, but I have to break up with her because she's just too enthusiastic about me. I mean, th- th- these conversations don't happen. And I know that there's this kind of narrative out there that if you act too interested in a guy, he will become less interested in, in you. And, and, and actually, like there's a you know quote from one of the rules books, you know, the, the, the rules by Ellen Fine mm-hmm. and Sherry Schneider. This is a quote from one of their books. If you want a guy to pursue you, don't act so interested. Treat him a bit like a guy you don't care for. Now, like I, I want you to, I want your listeners to think about like how this plays out in kind of a, I mean, it, it should, this should have been clear even before Me Too, but particularly in a post Me Too world, if a guy is texting you and you're not returning his texts or phone calls, if there's a woman at a party who a guy is talking to who doesn't seem all that interested in her, the correct response is not to assume that she's playing hard to get. And I think, guy, I mean, guys aren't learning the lessons of Me Too fast enough, probably. But I think a lot of guys are learning this one. And in the book, there's a, you know, I interview um, Francesca Hoagie, who's a, a dating coach, coach out in LA. And, you know, and, here, and here's what she told me on this. She said, this is not the time to be demure, at least not if you're single and don't want to be single. If a woman comes across as indifferent, men will take that as a sign that she's not interested and will move on. It's getting to the point that if the woman doesn't make the first move, the men are not going to, end quote. Now, to me, I don't, I, I'm not trying to make things easier for the men. I don't really care about the men. If I thought playing hard to get worked, I'd be all in favor. And I actually think th- this cultural change we're talking about is a good thing. I, I don't like your, you know, I'm, I, I'm sure you've had experiences in the elevator that were different from, you know, maybe less pleasant than the one you, you mentioned earlier in which a guy thought the mere fact that you're making small talk with them meant that you wanted to sleep with them. Like, you know, and, and I think it's good that we're moving away from that kind of a world, but I think it's kind of silliness to think like that all the things that work for every other aspect of human life, like if you want a job, you don't wait for the, the, you know, the company to find you. If you need knee surgery, you don't wait for the surgeon to come, you know, call you or invite you to their office and then make your move. If you read the book, I mean, there are just all these amazing, fabulous love stories that I tell about women who ended up with their soulmates because they took initiative. And usually they were taking initiative with guys who always liked them, but had no idea that she liked him back. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about what to get my bridesmaids for when I like asked them to be my bridesmaids. And I was like, what will they love that is different and unique? And like everyone loves it. And obviously I was like, oh, Majuri is the only way to go. Majuri makes fine jewelry for every day. So everybody loves it. And I even have a bridesman. Is that what they call it? I don't know. But he's amazing. And he likes jewelry too. And it's so perfect because they have everything that you could ever want. But for me, I was like, oh, I want to get them like Zodiac stuff. So like Libra ring or Aries necklace or Aries bracelet. And it's all great. And like, you can keep them on, you can shower with them. You don't have to keep taking them on and off. I personally love their 14 karat solid gold stuff. I'm a huge gold person when it comes to jewelry. And I just feel like it dresses everything up and it's really good quality. Like you don't, your fingers aren't going to turn another color like they might have with other stuff. And they also have amazing gifts for the holiday. Like if you're like, what do I get my mom? What do I get my mother-in-law? What do I get that random girl I work with who always gets me a gift? Like Majuri is always the move or get it for yourself. I feel like we forget sometimes how important it is to put ourselves in the holiday gift mix. Like if you don't get it for you, no one else will. So don't have expectations that other people are getting stuff for you. Go buy it for yourself and write yourself a card because you are bad bitch. Go to Majuri.com slash Acme and you'll get 10% off your first order. That's Majuri, M-E-J-U-R-I.com slash Acme and you'll get 10% off your first order. Check it out. 
The one thing that will always remain true is that when it gets colder out, I am starving, like ravenous. I want to eat all day. I want to eat all night. And it's okay to do that. Honestly, if that's what your body wants, then like, that's okay. As long as you're doing what's good for you and not imposing restrictions and limits. And if you're eating something that's really nourishing, that's really, really like good for your body, like Saqqara, then it's okay. It like you, it all starts with what you're putting in your body. So like if it's cold, so you're like, oh my God, I want like, you know, all this food that's really bad for me. And then you feel bad about it. That's not so cute. But if you're like, oh, I want to eat all this really nourishing food, then like, do you, you know? And that's why Sakara is so amazing because they have these organic ready-to-eat meals with powerful plant-based ingredients. And they are designed to boost your energy, improve your digestion, and get your skin glowing. It's actually so funny. I was on the plane to Austin last weekend and someone had Sakara with them. And I was like, wow, you are so smart. You're like putting yourself first over airplane food you're being good to your body and like you have a really good meal in front of you and I'm so jealous. Along with their delicious plant-rich meals, Saqqara also offers daily wellness essentials like supplements and herbal teas to support your nutrition. I love their detox tea. It's amazing and it's perfect in-between meals. If there is an in-between for your meals, sometimes there's not. Experience the transformative power of plants with their best-selling metabolism super powder. It's made with organic raw cacao and it works to boost your energy, eliminate bloating, minimize sugar cravings, and reduce fatigue. They also have these incredible metabolism super bars too, which are delish, but all of their bars are delish. The beauty bars, all of it. Right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash acme and enter code ACME20 at checkout. That's Sakara S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash ACME to get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash ACME. Check it out. You will love it. So I wanted to let you talk there, but I did want to immediately speak up because I have had countless, countless guys who are friends of mine, who are friends of my fiancés, say that they had to end it with somebody because they were too into them. So many times saying, you know, this girl's just too into me. I could just tell, you know, and that... And it's and it's funny because maybe... I don't think that you're wrong. I don't think that I'm wrong. I think we are talking about different ki- kinds of men. So, so, so you think there would have been a happily ever after uh, for this for these couples if the behavior in week three or four or five were different? You, 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 think, you think the relationship would have really worked out if, if only you know, a few conversations were different early on? I do. I think that men I, I don't. need some time to get to know. And you know, I had a man on my podcast who told me that the way that men fall, for, fall in love with women is by shared experiences and quality time spent together. And I think, you know, women fall in a different type of way. And it's so important to like match that energy and be on the same page. And I don't think that happens unless there is that time spent. And if the woman is too interested up front before the man has spent that time and gotten to know this woman, I think it can really, really scare them off. So I, I think I just found a little bit of common ground, Lindsay, here. So, so you talked about, about shared experience. And mm-hmm. um, I, I couldn't agree more with you on this. And, and, and this is why, you know, a, the other big theme of Make Your Move involves dating people you already know and you already like. You know, like I'm, for example, I'm a big fan of dating in the workplace. And I know it's complicated. But somebody who you've worked with for a year, you know, before the first date, you already have a pretty clear sense of whether there's some compatibility there. You don't have to like, you know, beat around the bush and figure out whether you like the person or not. You probably already, you're like halfway there. And I kind of, you know, a, one of my big arguments is I, I I don't like the idea of blind dates with complete strangers, which is what online dating is generally. I like the idea 
of dating people who you kind of know organically, who maybe met in your running club or the dog park or at work or at church or in another house of worship. Because the research shows that the people, that relationships formed that way are much more likely to succeed than people who meet as strangers. Mm-hmm. I yes, I, I definitely I agree with what you're saying. And I actually agree that, you know, people are always asking me, should I date my coworker? Absolutely. Why not? As long as they're not married. I don't see I don't see why not. It either works out and it's the happily ever after, or it doesn't, and you sit in a different section of the office. I don't think that that is that there's anything wrong with that. I think I think a lot of the a lot of what I read in your book. I do really agree with. I I will say, so I am a big advocate for dating apps, but you're not wrong that it is harder to get to know a stranger. It is harder to proudly say, you know, we, yes, we, we met on Hinge, you know, at, at our wedding and, and whatnot and to my grandma and, you know, something like that, you know, I think there is a lot more stake in meeting in person or being set up or meeting organically like that, there's just, you you almost want that to work out more. You almost root for that more. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a matter of pride or being proud. I think there's something fundamental about the whole thing. I mean, I, I mean, Lindsay, do you have a, do you have a best friend? I do. How'd you meet your best friend? I met her in high school. Can you imagine going Before on the, be- can you imagine going on the bestfriends.com and, 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 creating or replicating a relationship as important and connected as the one that you, you know, you've created through shared experience in high school or in college. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, I mean, it's, it's I mean, he, but like you said, human beings evolved as social animals and we connect through shared experience. And I'm, again, I'm not saying it's impossible to find a soulmate on a dating app, but there's a reason why it's like, it's so much more natural, you know, mm-hmm. connecting. You know, I, I personally, I don't think that the close relationships we form you know, with as, you know, like the best friend relationships have to be that fundamentally different from the ones we form with romantic partners. I I think the, I I, I think the, there's a lot of overlap. There's a lot of similarity. And, you know, if you wouldn't find a best friend through an app, you know, I think about why that is. And Maybe that's a reason why you should be, like you said, kind of taking a chance with the guy you know at work or asking out the guy you know from the dog park. I mean, somebody or or from the running group or whatever. I mean, somebody who you already have an established relationship with. And it's just so much more comfortable because, I mean, as you know, like the... I mean, I don't know. They, they, there was a Pew Research survey which came out last year, which showed I think that that twenty percent of women on dating apps have been threatened with physical violence. You know, I mean, if there was a bar that had that kind of track record, nobody would go back. And, right. But and and this is why, like I, I mean, this is why for every woman I've interviewed on this, or almost every woman I've interviewed on this, these first dates on the app start with a lot of fact checking, googling the guy to make sure that. You know, that Robert, the hedge fund manager, isn't actually Billy Bob, the married ex-con. And then there's kind of a safety plan. Like, you, you know, you're going to Sushi Palace, but you tell your roommate or your mom or your sister, well, you know, here's where I'm going to be. If you don't hear from me, you know, maybe get worried. And that is totally justifiable, given what we know about, about online dating. But at the same time, the reason these relationships with people we already know work out better is because the way we meet is actually important. And just think about how much more likely you are to fall in like or fall in love with somebody with whom you already have a certain comfort level and already know their values and know their sense of humor. It's just so much easier than doing that with a complete stranger. Mm -hmm. It's true. It's true. It definitely is. It's just, but I I just know that people listening to this are going to say, okay, John, sure, you're right. How the hell do I meet someone in person right now? Like, I think that is what people are so 
frustrated with, and that's why they're reverting to these apps. You know, so so, so I, I did a I did a talk uh, with a college group in, at Rollins College in Florida a couple months back, and there was a young woman in the class who basically asked the same question you just asked. And uh, this was a Zoom thing. Um, and there were like 40 kids in the class. And so I said, okay, let's turn Zoom to like Brady Bunch mode so I can kind of see every um, everybody in the room. And the question I asked them is, okay, how many of you have somebody you already you know, somebody you know from the real world, somebody you know and like, and who's single, and somebody like how many people have somebody you know and like from the real world whom you've ever wondered about dating? Somebody single, and there were forty kids in the class, and forty hands went up. Now I realize if you ask a bunch of forty-year-olds, it's going to be different than asking. A, a group of 20 year olds. But I firmly believe that a majority of single people who are struggling with singleness already know somebody whom they'd like to date, but they, they're just afraid to ask the question. And you know, I, I'm all about taking chances and about overcoming fears. I mean, I I, I you know the particularly when I talk to young singles. Millennials to some extent, but really the Gen Z crowd, there is a fear of awkwardness and embarrassment, which is next level. And I just think it makes them really, it makes it challenging for them to connect with the right person, the person they already know and like, because it's just so much easier to kind of make small talk with a stranger on a dating app. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely this thing where we should push this in-person social interaction once again. And I think people are falling back so much on dating apps. And that's a big part of why they're not worrying about that when they're out. They're not caring about their surroundings as much. So that's that's definitely an interesting point. And then the last thing that I wanted to discuss with you, which I absolutely... This is the one thing that I I just can't budge in terms of how I feel. Okay. I I just don't it doesn't sit right with me. And 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 don't get me wrong, like there's actually someone who came on my podcast and she had done this and I supported it, but this is just a me decision. I could never have asked, you know, I'm engaged now. I could never have been the one to ask my fiance to marry me. And I think that in a hetero relationship, there's three things that a man should ask a woman. It is, you know, will you be my girlfriend? Will you move in with me? And will you marry me? I don't think that that should come from a woman ever. It makes my skin crawl. Yeah. Look, I mean, I know, I I know there are people who share your view. I mean, if you go on Twitter or YouTube, there are all these amazing romantic videos of women asking men to marry them. And I tell some of these stories in the book, but there are always kind of, you know, in the replies, you'll always see people who make fun of the woman or, you know, criticize her. And I'm... Again, like I, we have a fundamental disagreement because you think this is based on science. You think that there is some that men are hardwired or males are hardwired to be the aggressors, and women are kind of hardwired to be passive filters of male advances. And I'm telling you, and I'm happy to go through the science with you if you're interested, but. But this has been shown over and over again to be junk science. This is this is kind of a social creation. It's not based on biology. And, and I'd be happy to talk about the science with you if you want. I mean, I would talk about it with you, but I don't think it's it's about science. I think it's just a fact that, you know, that's just not... So how does it become a fact? Why, because I think why is, it's emotion. I don't think it's science. I think emotionally, that is what is, you know, what feels good to both to both parties. I think it's like the whole hunter gatherer. Right, right, right. You you think it's evolutionary biology, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So so there's a there was an interview with um, 
you know, Ellen Fine and Sherry Snyder, the authors of the rules, in which they were talking about this stuff. And in the interview, they blamed the fictional dating woes of the characters on the HBO show Girls. They, they blamed this on their failure to follow follow their own dating rules. And here's a quote from, from, from Ellen Fine. Quote, women can chase apartments and jobs, but not men. It's biology. And I... I knew that like the latest, but you know, the latest research in evolutionary biology, you know, done, but mostly by female scholars like Patricia Gawati at UCLA and Zomaya Tang Martinez of University of Missouri, it shows the opposite. I mean, it shows that these gender roles that we think are so immutable are not immutable at all. But I kind of got interested in like where this idea came from that you know, that, that, that this is just the way it is, that men are one way and women are the other. And, and, what, and what, what is this biology, this science that the rules authors are, are referring to? And you know, before, and let me just say, if your listeners are interested in a really deep dive on this topic, there's a book I cannot recommend highly enough. It's Inferior by M. Angela Saini, who's a, a science writer in London. But anyway, I, I was, like I said, I was curious where... Fine and Schneider came up with this. And it turns out that this idea that it's immutable and that that you know men have to be one way and women have to be another, it, it originates with a with an evolutionary biologist named Robert Trivers. And you know, Trivers is kind of a the a pioneer in the field, and his kind of acolytes include all the stars of, of modern sort of dating science, like David Buss and Steven Pinker, Don Simons. And it, it was Trivers who first popularized this idea that, that, you know, females are supposed to just wait for men to court them. And he built this theory around a 1948 study involving the mating habits of fruit flies. Now, now, obviously, there's kind of a silliness factor to using the behavior of fruit flies to draw big conclusions about the behavior of humans. And I'll get back to that in a minute. But I first think it's really important to say it up front that Trevor's prominence and influence in this field is incredibly problematic. And to give you a, a sense of the kind of person we're talking about here, this is this is what Robert Trivers had to say when it was reported that he'd been accepting research funding from sex offender financier uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Quote, by the time they're 14 or 15, they're like grown women were 60 years ago. So I don't see these acts as so heinous. Now, like, thankfully, over the past two decades, Trevor's theories on gender roles and mating behavior have been, like, as I said, debunked by scholars such as Gawadi and Tang Martinez and Sarah Hardy of UC Davis. And, and Gawadi's research on this is actually the most interesting. Uh, she had been studying the behavior of eastern bluebirds, and she found that female bluebirds who were once thought to be seasonally monogamous were actually flying away at night uh, to mate with males that were not their primary partners. But when, when Gawadi like, published her research, all the male academics in the Trivers camp, they just attacked her competence. And they told her that the female bluebirds in her study must have been, in their words, raped. So she, she was fed up and she decided to redo the original fruit fly experiment that all of Trivers's grand theories were based on. She, you know, she tape recorded the entire experiment, replicated it exactly um, how you know, the original experiment was done. What she found was that the female fruit flies were just as sexually assertive as the male ones. And indeed, like the errors in the original study were so egregious that, that Patricia Gawati could not figure out how the original study was ever accepted by the journal that published it. And I, I would just encourage all your listeners to you know, read Angela Sandy's book about all the ways that science has gotten women wrong over the, over the years, or read my book, because they're, they're, this notion that this is the way things have to be, and this is the way things always are, and that men who propose to women are good, and women who propose to men are bad. I mean, I, that's just not the kind of world I want to live in. Mm -hmm. I hear you, and you just made a lot of very valid points. So on that note, we will end the episode on a on a positive note because I don't think it's it's right or wrong. I think it's very open for interpretation. And I again, like just just to reiterate, like women that propose to men are not evil. They're not bad. They're just not me, and they're not what I would do. So I think that 
you know, all women and all men are different. I don't think that there is one answer. And I think that that's why people do write books on this subject and people do have podcasts on this subject. So I'm really grateful for having had you on the show, John. And I'm wondering if you can leave us with a quote or piece of advice that you know you stand by or has helped you throughout the years. People are always asking me about the online dating thing and why I hate the app so much. And, and they ask me, well, is there any dating app you do like? So... I, I, I kind of have an answer to that. Would, would this fit the question? You know? Yeah. Okay. So the dating app I like is not actually a dating app. It's Meetup or Meetup.com. And mm. as you probably know, like Meetup is kind of a like a electronic town square type yeah. place where people with similar interests, whether you like want to join a running club or you like golden retrievers or you want to go clean up the beach. I mean, it, it's a it's a way to meet like-minded people who have shared interests. And I firmly believe that shared interests and shared values are the key to kind of, you know, that it's a, it's a fundamental building block you need for a romantic relationship. And obviously if you go to a, you know, a dog park meetup or a running group meetup, I mean, not everybody is going to be there looking for a life partner, but I actually think that's a good thing because there's less pressure to connect. Right. And, and I just know all these people who met their, you know, their true loves in these kind of more organic ways in which there isn't the pressure to connect the same way there is with a, you know, first date on a dating app. All you're doing is meeting in the real world with people um, who share your own interests. And yeah. so, so that's why Meetup is actually my favorite dating app. I love that. I actually was a guest on David, founder of Meetup's podcast. So everyone should totally check that out. And John, where can everybody uh, read your book and follow you if you're on social media? I mean, you can buy the book pretty much anywhere. Uh, Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, all the indie you know, book bookseller websites. You know, my website is johnberger.com, J-O-N-B-I-R-G-E-R.com. I'm John Berger one on Twitter. Unfortunately, it's a little different on Instagram. I'm John underscore Berger one on, on Instagram. That was a clearly a mess up on my part. And I guess the other thing I'll mention is that if you're interested, if you have a book club that's interested in reading or book group that's interested in reading Make Your Move, or for that matter, Datanomics. I do these kind of, you know, book club Zooms or book club, you know, kind of online Q&As. And I've partnered with a company called bookyaya.com. And you can, you can set that up on the bookyaya website. Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much, Sean, for your time and really loved having you on. Great. Thanks, Lindsay. 